3: I do think there can be a real deterrent effect on violent protesters when you say, hey, guys, you want to do this? You want to throw the Molotov cocktails? You want to break windows? There's going to be consequences uh, for doing it. Um, Attorney General Carr, thanks so much for coming on the program. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. That does it for us tonight. Banfield starts now.
4: Hello, everybody. It's Hump Day Wednesday. Thank you so much for being here. We're halfway through the week, almost at the weekend. That's how I like to look at it. Uh, They are calling it a crab walk. Uh, Some are calling it a shimmy. Others say it's a scaling. I call it parkour. (laughs) Uh, But a Pennsylvania jail has just released some video, and it shows uh, a dangerous convicted killer who's been on the run for seven days and how he was able to just shimmy on up between two walls to the roof and just make his escape. That's it. Just shimmy on up. Like it's that easy. Who knew it was that easy? Turns out it's that easy. Here is the part that's super maddening. Um, They say that this whole business, this strategy of like using your hands on one wall and the feet on the other, it is like a carbon copy of a strategy that was used by another inmate. Another inmate who did the very same thing in the very same place and made a run for it back in May from the very same prison. But we have some exclusive reporting tonight on that guy, that guy that you just saw doing the shimmy and his state of mind. And it is not good. And the state of mind that that inmate is in comes from people very close to him. And it is affecting the way they are hunting for him. I'm going to give all of that to you in just a moment. But I also want to tell you tonight that the domino effect continues to pick up speed. Like one of those awesome YouTube videos, only this one's life and death. Uh, You remember how Alex Murdoch's lawyers accused that court clerk uh, in the murder trial of meddling with the jurors? Well, his lawyers are going further now. And they're saying that the jurors themselves might want to get lawyers as they might be in a heap of trouble. So uh, live with me tonight, a reporter who was there with the bird's eye view of that trial start to finish, who herself had an up close and personal uh, contact with that court clerk, has a little insight. But man, talk about doing your jury duty and then some if you got to get a lawyer after. So we're going to tell you all about why, what they could be facing, what it was they're purported to have done. Um, And it's above and beyond what we brought you last night. So if you watched last night's show, you still have to watch tonight. Then I have this, like, super bizarro twist in the Brian Koberger case. Stay with me. Uh, The prosecutors are now the ones who are beefing about an expert dna witness i know i know what you're saying no ashley you got it wrong it's the defense that's been mad up until now Koberger's lawyers were like super mad with the government's dna findings they wanted to question it all no no i'm telling you it's flipped now it's the prosecutors who are saying that Koberger's dna expert witness uh needs to be investigated by the fbi got some questions ma'am what is going on in idaho I have the perfect guest and you love him and his name is Brian Enton, and he's going to be right here beside me. So a bit of a fangirl thing going on. So, okay, let's start, though, with this, like, super emergency. This, like, disturbing new details on this manhunt in Pennsylvania, soon to enter its eighth day. And in a moment, some amazing pictures, the story behind how he actually broke out after that, like, spidey, you know, shimmy up the wall. He was serving life. Life for murdering his ex-girlfriend, stabbing her 38 times right in front of her two little kids. Let's just keep that in mind about that guy. And this isn't an allegation. He's not accused. He was convicted. He was about to serve life. And he just decided to scrape. So before I show you that surveillance video again of the escape, I have this for you. Just moments ago, we learned exclusively that the investigators who are hunting this guy, Danilo Cavalcante, Those investigators now have reason to believe that he is mentally unstable. And because of that, he is all the more dangerous for it. Like, let's be clear. He was dangerous before we learned that, right? He's got life in prison, so he's got nothing to lose, out on the run, kill with your bare hands to stay out on the run or go back in the hooskow for life. No, now they're saying this mental instability that they've learned about, and I'll tell you where they got it and why they think it's true, uh, it has added a layer to this. And it has added... A a, a strategy shift in how to get him. So I'm going to talk with a guest who has a lot of these exclusive details in just a second. But right now, Cavalcante is believed to be close to the Pennsylvania-Delaware border. Uh, The marshals say that he's likely hiding out during the day and then doing this. See that? Making his move at night. That's trail cam video on like a hiker's trail. Apparently he got all discombobulated. He was like heading north. Then heading south, like he'd sort of forgotten where he was going, but the trail cams are capturing him. They think it's possible he's doing the nighttime travel because, A, fewer people, a little more secret, but it's also super hot. I mean, I know wherever you are in the U.S., you're probably going through some heat, but in the northeast, there is a lot of heat. In Pennsylvania, it is real hot. During the day, which means that it is a challenge for him to be moving around in the day or the night. But it's also a challenge for the search teams as well. There's like hundreds of police and FBI and marshals and Border Patrol, all of these agencies working around the clock. They've even decided to close a couple of school districts because, you know, escaped killer, dangerous kids on the road. Now for the escape details. The surveillance images that were released today are just like, are you kidding me? This is the prison yard um, where the killer made the daring break. It happened last Thursday. You can see Cavalcanti there. Hands on the wall, feet on the wall, and up I go. Spider-Man. So he got out through that exercise yard, really ingenious, hands and feet up to the roof. Then once he was on the roof, um, he actually made his way across the roof. He's only five feet tall. So that's a pretty narrow little passageway. 120 pounds, maybe that makes it easier. But So he gets up to the roof and he pushes his way through razor wire on the roof. Runs across the roof, scales another fence, pushes his way through even more razor wire. Never look back. Where he got the idea? That, that's another story, isn't it? This inmate that did the exact same thing back in May was not as successful with his attempt because he was caught within five minutes... Turns out the tower guard, doing his job, spotted that other inmate for whatever reason. Um, But the tower guard on that day, on Thursday of last week, did not see Cavalcante, did not report Cavalcante. And Cavalcante was out and running. And I kind of wonder if there's something to it. So see this guy over here on the lower right-hand side of your screen? One with all the tats. What's he doing? What is he up to? Just take a good look, because as he's doing this and moving his lips, Cavalcante's making a break for it, and then that guy's out of there. I'm wondering if he's a lookout. I'm wondering if he's watching for that tower guard <laughs> and saying, clear, because it sure does seem as soon as he comes into view there and says something, Cavalcante's up and out, and that guy's amscring. I don't know. I'm just observing this. And putting a spot shadow on it so you can observe it too. But I'm sure the police are looking into it. So then we've learned this exclusive detail that you need to know about tonight. His purported troubled mental state. It comes from his uh, the victim's family. The victim's family members whom law enforcement um, wasted no time in interviewing. What it means about his troubled mental state is that whoever ends up cornering this guy is cornering not only a desperate killer facing life, for stabbing the ex-girlfriend, but very likely an irrational desperate killer. Joining me now is a man who once oversaw the U.S. Marshals who are hunting Cavalcante right now. John Muffler is a former assistant chief deputy U.S. Marshal of the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. He now owns a security consulting company. It is great to have you, John. So your guys are on the ground right now. They are the ones that learned about Cavalcante's um, mental state. Can you walk me from there and how this changes sort of the whole dynamic of the hunt?
5: Yeah. Well, again, thanks for having me back on. And uh, you're absolutely right. So it changes the dynamics because they know obviously they're starting off knowing that he is desperate. He is an escaped murderer. He's already been convicted. um, And that murder was quite violent. Um, And so you have that aspect. And now you have the aspect of learning about his mental instability Um, which factors into a certain degree of dangerousness or risk uh, that is now exponential. So uh, when confronting someone like that, uh, obviously, you know, you take all of those things into consideration, um, whether they are armed or not. And we don't know if he is armed at this point. They may know and have not released that. um, But um, that's definitely a consideration when coming across someone of that mental Uh, uh, status
4: so you know we're we're going into day eight tomorrow and i'm wondering i don't know your business and how you strategize day to day i picture a war room between the marshals the border guard the fbi the local law enforcement sheriffs you know deputies anybody else who might be involved in all of this and how you coordinate how does it change from day say six to day seven to day eight to day ten like what changes and what do you do differently
5: yeah, so uh, Pennsylvania State Police will have command and control, and everybody that's there, every agency there, has leadership involved, and they're communicating uh, facts, uh, information that's coming in that's being shared across uh, the board. Uh, so everybody's on the same page as far as what is known, uh, what are the possibilities, and what may be next. So, you know, the information is there and it is being shared, you know, uh, if not, you know, minute by minute, or as it comes in
4: so we got these you know security um actually they were just they were just trail cam surveillance pictures from one of the hiking trails outside of the two mile perimeter of the prison where everybody thought he was and it made me wonder like do you all keep these pictures off the news sometimes so you don't alert him potentially as to what you know about him
5: Potentially, but I think in this case, um, you know, it doesn't seem like he has a phone or any access to that unless he has stolen something. But still, he'd have to have a passcode to get into that. So I think in this circumstance, that's not as, as big a concern. Um, I don't believe, from what I understand, nobody from the outside is communicating to him. He is solely on his own, uh, getting himself through these uh, through the woods there, which are vast. Uh, I know the area well. I lived in that area myself for a number of years, so um, you know he has a lot of access to uh, open trails, uh, open woods. So um, you know those pictures that are being gleaned, as you're showing on the on the on the screen right now, um, very likely he's not seeing them in some in some way.
4: There, you know, is a university that wasn't too far, you know, from the prison, just outside perimeter. Uh, two school districts have completely shut down. How long does that sort of Freeze, stay in place for all the people in this area. How long do you sort of stop life as we know it?
5: Yeah, it's it's exhausting for everybody there, especially the officers, especially for businesses and for families who you know have residences there. At some point, you know, it just gets to a point of um, you know exhaustion. Um, but people have to stay vigilant and report those uh, anomalies that they're seeing. Um, and and try their best to maintain, you know, a clear head about this. This won't last long. I feel that they're getting closer and closer. But, again, as we learned from Warren County uh, uh, up in Pennsylvania, upstate Pennsylvania in July, uh, that went a couple weeks. Um, And so usually they'll go a little while longer. He's got the advantage of open woods, so this could go a little longer. Um, But my senses are getting very close.
4: Well, I keep thinking about, like, Denimora. I think about Eric Rudolph, and I I hope that you're right, because those other ones were, uh, you know, endless and deadly. But the, you know, a couple of people have said they think that burglaries uh, that they experienced at their homes were him. So I'm assuming, and I've only got about 10 seconds left here, but I'm assuming that, you know, your marshals, your law enforcement experts are telling everybody keep the doors locked, keep hyper vigilant and report any weapons that you may have uh, found missing from your homes.
5: Absolutely. Even, uh, you know, knives obviously is important. Anything like that being missing or, you know, even change because uh, they can buy things with uh, small change, those petty crimes are important to report because they could lead to him being sure. able to sustain himself with you know purchasing some small items he
4: got a backpack he got a duffel bag and he got a hoodie and that uh he got it from somewhere so john muffler thank you we're going to keep tabs with you as this continues we appreciate that tonight i also want to bring in someone right now who has served 10 years in the south carolina prison system where he witnessed several inmates escape his first name is paul but he goes by jumpsuit pablo on social media He knows what it's like to be locked up for years and how inmates rack their brains trying to figure out ways to get out. Uh, Pablo, thank you for being on. Give me your take on that video and that sort of extraordinary escape.
3: Well, you know, when I first saw it, I uh, just the the climb, it, it seemed like that's definitely not his first time trying that climb out. Now, if his prison cell in that state or anything like the ones I've been in in South Carolina, he's probably practiced that in his cell. A few times That's just my thought um, I saw what you were saying Too about the It looks like there is Some mouth movement You know going on Between them And just the timing And the, and the place That other guy is standing It, it it looks pretty obvious, and I wouldn't be surprised if right now, whoever that guy is, he's probably already been placed on solitary and under investigation.
4: Let me blow that video up big. Uh, I'm going to ask our control room, too. We've got the little picture, but if you blow it up bigger, you can see that inmate over there. The guy on the right, we spot-shadowed it. That's what Pablo's talking about. He comes over, uh, kind of hanging out for just a hot second, right at the moment when um, Cavalcante Conte does his up-the-wall you know, there's a little bit of mouth movement and then he's off. So you you suspect like, look, you know, you know how this works. Do you suspect that that's exactly what he's up to uh, being the lookout?
3: I don't know if that's, exa- you know, it's hard to say that's exactly what it was. It could be, you know, everyone's out there running around um, and just, you know, uh, an escape, especially if you're not someone who's also going to be in this escape and, and try to get out. That's probably one of the most serious things and situations an inmate can involve himself in for, you know, what is he doing that for? Just as a favor, you know, to a buddy. I mean, that, that's most inmates are going to be minding their business and not wanting to touch that with a 10 yard stick. So, uh, I mean, maybe they were really good friends if that is what he was doing.
4: You know, it's funny because my next question was how many inmates actually agree to help someone else uh, do them a solid? What do they get out of it? Do they get anything out of it?
3: I I, I don't think they get anything out of it um, that would outweigh what they could get from it by by just if they get caught helping with that. I mean, that's pretty serious stuff.
4: Can I ask you? You know, you ten years locked up. I I can't imagine you know what that's like. Do you and your fellow inmates think every day about escaping, uh, devising ways, imagining ways, even if you're not serious about it? Is that sort of the fantasy?
3: I'm sure it's uh, you know a, a common daydream in a lot of inmates' minds. Now, as far as how many take it seriously and actually consider you know executing this and, and putting it into action, I, uh, not a lot. I mean, there, there's more not thinking about that seriously than there are who who, who are. But you know, it's uh, I've, in my ten years, I probably saw four to five escapes, and they never oh, last I, long.
4: By the way, what you saw. Uh... What happens after that? Like, do they come and ask you, what'd you see? Give us your, and then you just like, like, is it just snitches get stitches? Like, how how does it work? (laughs) What's the culture when you, when you witness someone escape?
3: Well, you know, you definitely, nobody sees anything, you know, um, pretty much but what they do standard procedure they're going to lock down the whole yard and they really don't let anyone out until that guy's been caught but this case is a little different because every time someone's escaped from my prisons that i've been in um they haven't made it this long that's what surprised me most inmates don't plan for what they're going to do once they get out of the prison yard they don't think about that you know um and this guy that just that he's made it that long that that's what surprises me so
4: and then he got the sweatshirt and the bag. And you know, right. if the if the reported um, resident who said that he heard noise downstairs, flicked the lights, and that the you know the person who broke in flicked the lights back, and the knife was missing, he that guy thinks oh. it was this guy. You know, um, he got the he got the sweatshirt, he got the bags from someone. Quick question for you, Pablo: FBI, marshals, border patrol, local law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. They're all on it and they're coordinated. Do you think this this guy's screwed? Do you think he's going to make it?
3: I think he's definitely screwed. I mean he you know the longer you're in there, you lose more and more friends, people you were in touch with out there. you get less and less of a support system, maybe your mom or someone is still in your corner. but I don't think he's got any help out there and it's only i mean I don't think he stands a chance against all all those agencies coming after
4: him. You know, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your wisdom. I'm fascinated by your culture as well. Um, Thank you for the insight. Really appreciate it, Pablo.
3: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
4: More than welcome. All right, still to come. We're watching, and we are waiting to see how a South Carolina court clerk is going to respond to some, how do you put it, like stunning allegations that she basically rigged the Murdoch jury, Alex Murdoch's verdict. His attorneys are accusing Becky Hill of jury tampering and not just a little like on an epic scale and they're demanding that murdoch's convictions be tossed in the garbage after the break i'll be joined by someone who spent some quality time with that clerk she was in the courtroom from start to finish was any of this obvious as the trial was ongoing that's next when most people try to get out of it. They answered their jury summons and they ended up getting picked. And then they ended up on this case, Alex Murdoch's murder trial, as jurors. So you would think that they'd be given a badge or a medal or a parade or maybe just a big thank you. But instead, some of them are being told, lawyer up and get ready for some trouble. And it's all because Murdoch's lawyers say there was some funny business going on within this jury and they're telling the jurors they might want to find a lawyer of their own and quick because if that stuff pans out, they could face, quote, legal consequences. Dang. Murdoch's lawyers are accusing the court clerk of cozying up to those jurors and then encouraging them to find him guilty in a speedy verdict, a verdict that, by the way, uh, only took three hours to reach. Here's what Murdoch's lead attorney, Dick Harpootlian, said to News Nation's Chris Cuomo.
3: And then there are jurors we, that won't talk to us. So if the Court of Appeals, we've asked them to stay the appeal, send this back for an evidentiary, hear, evidentiary hearing. And if they do that, uh, we believe these jurors will, under oath, testify to the truth. Now, I will tell you this. We're a little concerned at Swed who ran this case, who prides themselves on this case, is going to go out and start talking to these jurors and pressuring them. Um, We're hoping those jurors will do what the other two, what the two that gave us affidavits did, get a lawyer. We couldn't talk to these folks without going through their lawyer. And I think that's the way the rest of the jurors ought to go. They ought to hire a lawyer.
4: So Dick Harpootlian went further, and he he also said that he has heard that the jurors who didn't speak with his office, uh, they're on a grouped text chain, and that one of them recently asked, who's talking? Murdoch's lawyers say they've got evidence that during the trial, some of the jurors may have actually received outside information and discussed the case before they were supposed to in deliberations, and that they've been influenced by external factors. All of that is included in the in the motion that they filed yesterday to have that conviction of their client, Alex Murdoch, tossed in the trash. And that is in addition to the staggering claims that we told you about last night, about that lady right there. She's the Calton County clerk. Her name's Rebecca Hill, goes by Becky. According to Murdoch's filing, uh, she, quote, advised the jury not to believe Murdoch's testimony and other defense evidence. Pressured the jury to reach a speedy verdict of guilty. And misrepresented information to the actual judge presiding so that she could get a juror who she thought was Murdoch-friendly kicked off the panel. Murdoch's lawyers say that they have suspected all along there was an issue, immediately after the verdict, particularly, but that no jurors would talk to them until Becky Hill self-published a book. And in the very first chapter, Ms. Hill writes, quote, I was mostly concerned about Alex being found innocent when I knew in my heart he was guilty. Again, that line was written by an elected official of the court who had regular interactions with the jury during the trial. Gigi McKelvey joins me live now from Greenville, South Carolina tonight. She is the host of the Pretty Lies and Alibis podcast, and she was in the courtroom during the trial. She's also an excellent observer and an even better reporter. Hey, did you notice anything, Gigi? Did anything seem fishy when you were there?
6: Nothing at all, Ashley. It, it ran like a well oiled machine. I mean, we talked about how engaged this jury was the entire time, with the exception of one. Uh, but as far as Miss Hill, she just did her duty there in the courtroom. I didn't see her a whole lot outside of the courtroom. And um, But from everything that I saw, jury and the clerk of court seemed to be, you know, just run-of-the-mill, everyday trial stuff. There were some, like, social occasions, though, right? And I'm, I want you
4: to characterize them for me because, you know, that, that can be a runaway train when people hear that.
6: Yeah, so I did attend a birthday party for Becky. It was her 55th birthday party It was at another reporter's house. It was very laid back. We all kind of just talked about things other than the trial. I did not stay the whole time. I was often up till 3 a.m. trying to get my podcast out with really bad hotel Wi-Fi. So I didn't have time to mingle too long. But when I was there, it was just very lighthearted, just some food hors d'oeuvres and talk about our families. You know, tell me about your family, just regular chit chat. Everybody kind of moved around the room. And um, even then, I didn't see anything or hear anything that would have been scandalous or inappropriate, at least at that time. And in dealing with Becky, I did have questions for her at some times during the trial. If if we were in a break and she was very helpful and would guide me the right way and things like that. So I never saw anything in that courtroom that would lead me to believe that anything like this was going on.
4: Did you ever get like an attitude? You know how people can speak with their eyes and their <laughs> You know, did you ever get an idea that she just wanted this over with and wanted him in the in the clink?
6: Not really, Um, you know, because she actually came to Greenville a couple of weeks ago. I interviewed her on my podcast. We went and had dinner. And um, even then, we really didn't talk Murdoch. I mean, it was just more random stuff. So. For me personally, I did not experience anything like that with Ms. Hill. And, um, you know, that's, that's just something that, that I can't attest to. Last question, and it's an important one. If they get their way
4: and this verdict is tossed out, and I would assume the prosecutors will, you know, try him again, <laughs> as a double murder, um, do you think that he could be tried in this county again after all of this? Or is it a fait accompli that he has got to be
6: moved somewhere else? Look, let's just hope he moves to Greenville because I can be in my own bed for six plus weeks. I think this trial, if we get a new one, is going to be a lot longer. You've got this transcript coming in. You're going to have the same witnesses. Um, I don't see how they have it in the low country at all. Even in Charleston, you know, the Murdoch name was very huge. Maggie had a house at Edisto. So I think they need to come upstate. I think it's got to be moved out of that venue. It is a tiny town, Ashley. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knew the Murdoch's. Very few wanted to talk. So, yeah, let's hope if we get a new trial, we get an entirely different venue. Very successful in Lori Vallow. We had several jurors who knew nothing about the case, just moving it a few hours um, north up in Boise.
4: I am with you, Gigi McKelvey. And I, you know, I can't wait to find out when that evidentiary hearing is going to happen and where this goes I'll be from there. I know you <laughs> will. I love you to pieces. Thanks for doing this tonight. You're welcome. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Gigi McKelvey, uh, Pretty Lies and Alibis. You've got to listen to that podcast. It's great. Bottom line here, everybody, did that clerk really do anything wrong? And if she had, would she have written a book about it? You would think that maybe her co-author knows a thing or two. And guess who tracked him down? My next guest. And somebody I fangirl over all the time, Brian Enton. I never (laughs) get to see
7: you as close in person. I'm so excited.
4: So he's coming up next. I've got tons of questions for you and all your insights as well. Brian Enton, everybody, don't go away.
3: Ashley Banfield and Chris Cuomo on America's fastest growing cable news network, News Nation.
4: The viewer seems to have been lost in the shuffle of cable news lately. They don't want a team sport. They want the full picture.
0: The appetite is greater than it has ever been for perspective, for understanding, and for information that they can not just
3: trust, but use. See why more people are turning to News Nation, news for all America. To find News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com.
1: I'm a wife and the mother of two kids, and when I get to work in the precinct house and put on my uniform, I can tell you, as a police officer, we're building partnerships. This should be happening everywhere, so the police should be reaching out to this community, and this community should reach out to the police. That's the way to make this a safer place.
3: Start the conversation and help stop crime. To learn the five things you can do, go to ncpc.org slash preventviolentcrime. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.
0: Dear Hero, whoever you are, you save lives. I live with sickle cell and the pain and the issues that come along with sickle cell every day.
4: I'm most grateful that people are willing to go out there and take their time, their blood, and give me new life. Because of you, I'm allowed to see my son grow up. Giving equals living. Give blood. Replenish the supply. Learn more at
1: hhs.gov slash Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Do you want to make a difference in your community? Volunteer with your local fire department.
7: Operational and non operational positions are available and training is provided. Anyone can be a volunteer. You just need the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most.
1: When your community needs you, will you be there to answer the call? Learn more about volunteering at MakeMeAFirefighter.org. That's MakeMeAFirefighter.org
0: and here's heather with the weather
6: well it's beautiful out there sunny and 75 almost a little chilly in the shade now let's get a read on the inside of your car it is hot you've only been parked a short time and it's already 99 degrees in there let's not leave children in the back seat while running errands it only takes a few minutes for their body temperatures to rise and that could be fatal
1: Cars get
0: hot, fast, and can be deadly. Never leave a child in a car. A message from NHTSA and the Ad
3: Council. You're listening to Banfield on News Nation. To find News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com.
2: This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Each week, VA sends an email to over 13 million veterans. It's jam packed with veteran discounts on hundreds of services, job listings, and information on home loans. Plus, access to many local events for veterans and their families. Subscribe for free at va.gov slash vetresources to learn more.
4: The Supplemental Security Income Program provides monthly payments to help meet basic needs, like putting food on the table, paying the rent, or buying new shoes for growing feet. You may qualify if your income and financial resources are low, and you are 65 or older, or an adult or child with a disability, or who is blind. Call 1-800-772-1213 or go to ssa.gov slash SSI to start to apply. Produced by Social Security at U.S. taxpayer expense.
7: Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is often laced into illicit drugs and used to make fake versions of prescription pills. You can't see it, taste it, or smell it. Suppliers mix fentanyl into their products because it's potent and cheap, and the dealer might not even know. Keep yourself and others safe by knowing the real deal on fentanyl. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council.
5: Babes, what are you doing? What? I'm just mowing the lawn. No, it's blazing hot and dry out here. Don't you remember? Smokey Bear says,
0: Avoid using power equipment when it's windy or dry. Where'd you learn this?
5: Oh, it's on
0: SmokeyBear.com with many other wildfire prevention tips.
5: Right! Thanks, honey bear. Because remember, only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council.
4: Do you know how long I have waited for this moment? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, he's the best reporter in the business. Oh, come on. Bar none period end of story but also you just have a lot of background on the story that we're you know now sort of thrust into covering again the Alex Murdoch yeah. case may not be over uh, the court clerk she she writes a book with a co-author yeah and there's some incriminating stuff there that jurors have now gone on the record under oath and said we we were pressured The co-author seems to be a good source on all of this, and you, of course, would track him down. What did you learn?
7: Yeah, so his name is Neil Gordon. He met Becky Hill right after the trial. He's like a local journalist, so they teamed up to write this book. Um, He was totally shocked, he says, by this motion yesterday. Like, he didn't see any of this coming, and he's interviewed Becky Hill over and over again i mean they wrote a whole book together so she gave him all the information about the trial and what it was like and he says that she never brought up any of this like that these discussions with the jurors um that they went into great detail and that that you know to him it it never happened unless unless she just kept it
4: all out so did she ask anybody like did she consult with anyone before just sort of vomiting out all this really dangerous yeah. stuff in a book.
7: Well, that's what I was interested in because, you know, she's an elected official. She's still on the job. She works for the people. She's getting paid. Like, was it inappropriate for her to write the book? Was he concerned about that, teaming up with her? Um, so so I asked him about that um, during the interview. Take a listen. She ever say to you, like, Gene Neal, I think it might not be... Maybe it's not a good idea for me to write a book. Like, I'm, I'm the clerk... I'm elected. I'm still in the role. It hasn't been that long since the trial.
2: I mean, was she ever concerned about that? Well, she was, and she actually sought out a very noted media attorney in the two-state area of Georgia and South Carolina, and then she also contacted the Ethics Commission in Columbia, and she explained what she was trying to do, which is really just document and chronicle what it was like behind the doors of justice just to kind of put all of this together. And they just said to her, listen, you you cannot talk about anything confidential or sealed documents. So according to Neil
7: there, she she checked. Um, What I think is interesting, though, is I really thought today she was going to have a press conference or she was going to put out a statement. I know she's met with a legal team um, and that she's not happy about these allegations and that she wants to respond to each and every single one. Um, but it's now been like a whole other day has gone by. Sure. I really, didn't you think? I thought Hold she on. was going to, at least a statement.
4: Well, yeah, uh, For for the ugliness of it all, but she's going to have to, under oath, answer to this more than likely. I think there's going to be an evidentiary hearing. I yeah. think these allegations are so serious. And jurors who have, again, it's really important to know, they signed affidavits attesting right. to this bad behavior. It's not just people gossiping, right? So right. that's important.
7: And a federal investigation now could happen, and she could be in trouble. I mean, she's probably, they're probably telling her to be careful.
4: I would think that is exactly why yeah. there's this pause. It's, you know, she's probably lawyered up like crazy, and everyone's saying, yeah, hang on with the uh, right. it's-not-me business. So the, most people are saying she must have just done this for the money. But there's more to it than that. Well, and that's
7: what the defense attorneys, Murdoch's de- defense attorneys, were saying yesterday. Oh, it was for, like, fame and fortune. I never really understood that because they were saying that that she wanted there to be a guilty verdict because of the book. But, like, I'm like, wasn't she going to write a book regardless? Like, I don't know why the verdict would have mattered. Oh, I know why.
4: Because if if you if you have a hung jury, your book is not going to sell. You okay. have a guilty guy who's gone away for interesting. life. You're like, oh, lay it all out there. Usually that's okay. the case. But, yeah. but
7: it's interesting because talking to Neil, the co-author, he says they didn't make any money. It was self-published. Like, they... They've made no money. Uh, they wanted to clear that up. Uh, listen to uh, what Neil told me tonight. What about this theory that the defense has put forward that Becky uh, was was looking to make money, that this has all been about money with the book?
2: Yeah. So that's the part that really irked me about Harpool and and Griffin. Most people think, well, Uh, Random House or Simon & Schuster is going to send you a check for $250,000 and you've got this advance and you can do whatever you want. The reality is we did this with our blood, sweat and tears and $30,000 worth of money of our own, our own life savings together, just to try to document this and tell the story. So the notion that perhaps she was waiting on a book deal or advance money and that she wanted to get certain information is absolutely ridiculous and absolutely false. Hmm.
7: So he says they made absolutely no money. Um, I think there's still a lot of questions like was she sort of planning the book during the trial? Had she already started writing it? Uh, We we don't really know the answer to that yet because she hasn't spoken.
4: Yeah, they're gonna. They're gonna figure that out uh, real soon. So I gotta ask you the same thing I asked Gigi. If they do get a new trial, um, and it moves to a different county, because I don't think you can try them in Collin County. I don't think so. What do you think the outcome would be? Same evidence, same business, different <sighs> attitude, different people who all know the Murdoch power.
7: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could see there being a guilty verdict again. I think it'll just be interesting. I mean, his testimony was such a big part of the first mm-hmm. trial, and a lot of people just thought it was a big mistake that he took the stand. I mean, the jurors even said afterwards, like, they didn't believe him. Would he go back on the stand again? Would they be able to pull in what he said the first trial, which is apparently possible? I think all of those are really interesting questions.
6: Uh-uh. I, think th-
7: I think there's going to be a second trial. I really do. Oh, I do. do, too,
4: and I'm going to go on record. I really do. I... Don't think he did it. I'm gonna tell you this right now. Are you don't think he did it. Because You don't think he did it? Zero motivation. I've zero I've never heard you say that before. Yep. I, I think that other jurors should have had that many questions about why would a man kill his wife i was surprised it wasn't big to, see to hear you say that. Well, I was shocked at that verdict, so I think another jury would have a, a, a very different um, a different opinion. And maybe
7: they'll get smoke breaks this time.
4: <laughs> That's the craziest. That's part interesting
7: of the whole thing. too. Listen, if you're a smoker, that was a big deal. They didn't get smoke breaks. Well,
4: it's also called pressure. Yeah. You don't get to smoke till you get a verdict. Okay. Thank you, yeah, it's good and to thank see you, you for doing this yeah. and coming here yeah. and doing this with me. I always me love
7: you. to see you in person. It's the greatest. I
4: absolutely yeah. adore you. All right, Brian Enton joining us live. Still to come, just imagine for a moment that you're an expert witness you've just testified for the defense in one of the most famous murder cases in america and then the fbi is knocking on your door and asking some questions that is exactly what happened to this lady she's brian Koberger's dna expert and Koberger's team oh they are not one happy and one bit happy with this uh, i'm going to tell you how this is all shaking out in just a moment I guess it is really no surprise that DNA is already playing, like, this huge role in Brian Koberger's murder case. We already knew that his team was in a tug-of-war with the prosecutors over the the genetic profiles of three other guys that were found in the house. And then we watched as the defense called an expert witness on the so-called genetic genealogy. That was at a pretrial hearing last month. But now... The lay prosecutor says that they're hearing Coburger's expert, that lady, Gabriela Vargas, genealogy expert. Prosecutors say they're hearing that she's been saying things outside of court that are not the same as what she's saying inside of court. That's what you call a problem. And suddenly the FBI has shown up on her doorstep. because The prosecutors asked investigators to find out what was going on. But the defense says the FBI's intervention is violating their client, uh, Mr. Koberger. It's violating his right to due process. Is it? I know that um, Mark Garagos probably has an idea. He's a trial attorney. He's co-host of Reasonable Doubt podcast with Adam Carolla. He's live with me now. Is it? Is it a violation of his due process if the prosecutor smells something's fishy?
0: It uh, you know, if you just put yourself in the defense standpoint, if somehow the defense had access to the FBI and somebody testifies for the prosecution and you send the FBI over to question them, I think you would find that to be uh, somewhat troubling. And I find it troubling here that the FBI is involving themselves, especially because you're dealing with a scientific type of evidence that is uh, basically not generally admissible in a court, so you have to do a hearing, and guess who they call as witnesses in these hearings, and guess whose modus uh, and whose methods they're testing. They're testing the FBI's crime lab. And so, yes, I find it to be uh, highly, highly offensive and...
4: Let, let me be clear with our viewers. Like d- DNA isn't something that's not normally, uh, you know, you, you know, it is admissible. It's it's admissible. We use it all the time. It's the genealogy part that's the one where everybody's, you know, kind of wound up. But, well, actually, but Mark, what, what do but you do? So what, let but answer that. What do you do if you hear that the other side has an expert that's talking out of two sides of their face? Are you just supposed to sit back, or are you supposed to investigate it yourself? Like, what else were they supposed to do other than call the FBI?
0: It's very simple. It's called cross-examination. It's very simple. You have a hearing, you put the witness on the stand, you cross-examine them. You don't send the FBI to intimidate them. Ashley, you might remember about 20 years ago in the Peterson case, we had mitochondrial DNA, which had never been admitted in a California court before. You do a prolonged hearing. And I say prolonged because you've got to call witnesses. They brought in not once, not twice, but three times FBI uh, analysts in order to testify. And you put them on the stand you put our experts, meaning the defense experts, on the stand, and you duke it out in a courtroom. You don't go having somebody saying, hey, we're the FBI. We're from the government. We're here to help. That's that's intimidation. So, that's a violation of due process.
4: Are you saying that they should look the, the cross-examination part? I understand how that works. But usually you're in the court when you say, yes, I do have some questions, Your Honor. What if they found out afterwards? Then can they call a special hearing, bring her on for a cross-examination? I mean, it sounds like its uh, you'd have to do it at the time you, you're in the courtroom. You can't sort of do it later, or you'd have to have a whole new process. Uh,
0: well, I, I don't see why you couldn't do it. I, what, what would stop you from telling the judge, we now want to reopen, we want to call this witness, we have new evidence, you don't have to let the witness know, you, can do, you could file something under seal, you could okay. go in and in- Well, you could ask the judge. We want to have another hearing. We're
4: going to cross-examine. I got like 40 seconds left, but this is super important to me. I don't know what it is that they're complaining about. You and I don't know. Uh, But if it's serious, could Ms. Vargas be in trouble?
0: Well, anytime the FBI comes knocking at your door, uh, I will tell you, if you come to me as a prospective client, I'm going to tell you, shut up, don't say anything, Mm -hmm. and... I'll go and figure out what's happening. So could you get in trouble? Yes. Has the FBI made mistakes? The the country is littered with them. Uh, But that doesn't mean you still can't get in trouble.
4: It's so interesting. I can't wait to figure out what all this is about and what the resolution is. And you know what? Love having you on the show. Come back soon and often.
0: Well, hearing you say that you thought Murdoch was uh, innocent floored me, so I just got off the floor. So.
4: <laughs> well, then you better come back and be here live, because I'd like to see that for myself. Mark Garagos, thanks for being on. Bye, Ashley. And by the way, innocent is not the same as not guilty. <laughs> i got to be clear on that, because I think that dude did something. I just don't think he killed his wife and kids. All right, coming up. Uh, we all knew that she was not going to go quietly into the dark night. Here is Lori Vallow's newest booking photo from just a couple of weeks ago. Her hair looks fabulous, but the rest of her looks pretty haggard. And I say that for a good reason. You know, the reason she looks like this might be because of her newest demands and accusations, if they are legitimate. She was convicted of murder and sent to prison for life for killing her two kids and her romantic rival. Now wait till you hear why she says her murder conviction was flawed. Here is a hint. It's all about the crazy. Details in a minute. never guess what. Lori Vallow Daybell does not like her guilty verdict, and she doesn't like her life sentences for the killing of her own two kids and her romantic rival. I wouldn't either, but bummer. But as a bonus of this story, we have the latest booking photo of Lori Vallow, and it's not one we'd seen yet. Remember that she was convicted in May of killing those kids, Tylee and JJ, and conspiring to murder the former wife of her fifth husband, Chad, Lori's defense team wants the Idaho Supreme Court to take another look at the guilty verdicts and to consider a fairly long laundry list of issues, mostly pertaining to her mental state and whether she should have stood trial at all. What? Her lawyer's words, ready for this? Consider whether the district judge, Stephen Boyce, erred in finding Daybell competent to stand trial. After she spent ten months in a mental hospital. End quote. A possible appeal would likely be slowed down, though, by the next big thing in Lori's life, which is her extradition to Arizona, because there she's gotta face conspiracy to murder her ex-husband Charles. And by the way, Lori has now been moved to a brand new home. This is her permanent home, supposedly, behind bars. She transferred from Madison County Jail to the Pocatello Women's Correctional Center. Uh, That happened the first week of August. She's now residing in the southeast part of Idaho. For now, watch this space to see if things change. Thanks for watching, everybody. Cuomo's next.
0: Hey, I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Wednesday. We're live, so let's get after it. What are the people around the former president, Trump, telling him about...
1: Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America.